Welcome to the TCW Investment Perspectives Podcast. I'm Anisha Goodley, head of the Portfolio Specialist Team for TCW's Emerging Markets Group in Los Angeles. I'm here with Penny Foley and Dave Robbins, co-portfolio managers for TCW's Emerging Markets Fixed Income Strategies. Penny and Dave have an average of over 35 years of investing experience in emerging markets, navigating multiple market cycles and political regimes. Today, we're gonna spend time focusing on their outlook for 2024 and where they're seeing the best opportunities. Penny, Dave, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this discussion. There's certainly a lot to talk about. Just to kick off, emerging markets has had a nice run over the last few months. Since mid-October, sovereign dollar debt is up around 9% and local currency debt is up around 7%. What's driving this and how does this shape your outlook for 2024? Well, clearly uh, it's been a good uh, last half of the year and a lot of it has been driven by the decline in U.S. rates. The Fed hikes are done, uh, it looks like, uh, in terms of the market, and we've had a substantial rally in the long end uh, of the markets, which has helped. I think we've also had a lot of other factors that have been hurting EM in the past that are starting to get at the margin a little bit better. Certainly, China policy has taken a stronger pivot, and they're focusing more on uh, stimulus. The Ukraine, the inflation from the Ukraine-Russia war has, you know, that impact has declined substantially. And then I think a lot of the angst around U.S.-China relationship has really started to stabilize. And all of these things have helped EM in general. I think when we look at the, the outlook for 2024, we continue to be constructive on the markets. A lot of the outperformance has to be, uh, is driven by the relative growth rates that we see in EM relative to DM. We see that spread widening in 2023 and continuing to wide in 2024. Let me jump in on that real quick. You know, you talk about the widening differential between EM and DM. How do you think about China within that forecast? Maybe, Penny, you can touch on that. No, we're, we're assuming growth for China in the sort of the 4.5% range, so down about 50 basis points from our expectations for 2023. I think the risks to that forecast for 2024 are really to the upside. Not significant, but uh, I think that's the risk. People have have really taken on board concerns around uh, the policy issues in China. And of course, as the, as the economy grows, it's harder and harder to put in very high increases in, in rates. I think what's happening in China uh, around uh, the policy concerns is a shift of focus to some of the countries, companies that will benefit from uh, moving away from China in uh, in terms of trade, uh, and obviously that, that includes some of the smaller countries in Asia and includes uh, some of the CEE countries, uh, also uh, includes Mexico and some of the Latin American countries. At the same time, we expect that China and others will continue to be strong consumers of commodities, not necessarily solely for cyclical reasons, but more importantly for structural reasons as we move through the uh, or toward the transition from a carbon-dominated environment. So I think slowing in growth in China has certainly had an impact on growth in EM overall, but it has some upside benefits as well, and we're positioning the portfolio to capture those. And it really feels like the property market, which was a source of really a, a significant negative impact on growth, the attempts to stabilize it are getting more aggressive. And we think their ability to do that will be important to keep this growth in China in that 45 
to 5% range going forward. I think another thing that has helped the markets is that really the decline in inflation, both uh, in the developed world and certainly in EM. Uh, We've already started the rate cutting cycle in EM uh, in countries like Brazil, in countries like Chile, in countries like Hungary, in Poland. So, you know, we think this is going to continue. It started well before the Fed, and we think it will continue. And when you get synchronized rate cuts from the developed world and EM, I I think that will uh, further really reinforce uh, the positive momentum on EM. I think the other thing is that it will probably lead to reduced rates volatility over time. And I think that's another thing that reinforces the carry trade in EM. I think uh, the other thing that we like are our valuations. When we look at uh, the absolute yield levels in EM, uh, you know, investment grade is at its 95th percentile over the last 10 years. High yield is close to the 90th percentile. Now, spreads are, are tighter. There's no question about that. But we think that the absolute yield levels and the carry that this asset class affords investors, we think is going to continue to lead to inflows as we get more comfort around the Fed reducing rates over time in 2024. And so when you think about that combination of the fundamentals, so improving growth differential between EM and DM this year, the disinflation cycle valuations at cheap levels. What do you think about in terms of potential returns for both hard currency and local currency? Well, we think uh, in the hard currency space, your first overall return is going to be driven by carry. You know, our our portfolios are yielding somewhere between nine and three quarters and 10%. And so, you know, if you're going to get high single digits in carry and you add potential spread tightening, not necessarily in the investment grade space where spreads are already relatively tight at 120 over, but you know, in the high yield space where spreads are 725 to 730 over, you know, that's 350 basis points over the U.S. high yield market. So we think that's where, you know, you're going to get uh, some spread tightening. And so, you know, you're going to get in the high single digits, low double digits in the hard currency space. On the local currency space, you've got the attractive carry that's afforded in many of these markets where you still have a high single digit or low double digit yields. Uh, you've also got the potential for currency appreciation. We think that can be anywhere from 2 to 5%. And on top of that, you know, you've got duration gains as you get these rate reductions in EM. So, you know, you're probably going to get 12 to 14% type returns in the EM local currency space. Thank you, Dave. Let me turn it over to Penny to dig down on that. So I think something we talk a lot about, though, within emerging markets fixed income is the differentiation mm-hmm. in this space. So, Penny, Dave just talked about potential for hard currency returns and local currency. Where within those segments are you seeing some of the best opportunities? And how should we think about hard versus local? As we have been to benefit, as I said, from some of the, uh, some of the growth opportunities and the differentiation in, uh, in demand for commodities and other, other fundamentals that are going to drive uh, growth over the longer term globally. And so we have an overweight to markets like in Latin America. Uh, we also have overweight in some of the, the higher yielding countries in Africa. We're underweight, and we, we're funding those at this point with underweights in, in Asia, where we have uh, overweights in, uh, in Indonesia, a growing commitment to India, but uh, significantly less exposure to the tight trading, higher quality countries. Yeah, in the hard currency space, the driver of returns are obviously going to be lower rates in the U.S., and that will, uh, and where we take advantage of that is being by being long duration in the investment grade space in our portfolios. And then, you know, 
with credit improvement and fundamental improvement in the uh, in the high yield sector, uh, you know that's where you're going to drive not only attractive carry but also spread tightening, and those are really the two factors that drive returns. Well, let me pick up on that because you talked about lower rates in the U.S. What do you think about the potential for a U.S. recession and the range of probabilities around that in terms of the impact for EM? You know, certainly our U.S. fixed income team is looking for a recession in 2024. I think we're priced for a mild recession at this point. Obviously, a significant recession would have a deeper impact on spreads, but it would also have a big impact on lowering rates. So, uh, you know, while you would get some spread widening, you would certainly get the advantage uh, of lower rates. So, you know, you know, that will certainly dampen returns. But from our perspective, we think it's higher probability that, that you're getting a more mild recession with the strength that you're seeing in the U.S. labor market. And I think the, um, the risk of a, a deeper recession relative to, to EM credit overall, while it's certainly a factor, uh, is offset to some extent by improved fundamentals in the market. So if you look at debt, for example, debt to GDP um, has been uh, excluding China, has been actually coming down in, in the EM space, and it's certainly significantly uh, below levels in, in the DM uh, world. As Dave mentioned, inflation is coming down in uh, emerging markets from not such not a traditionally high level. And so and it's been coming down faster than also in than the developed world. Also current accounts, which have been a source of risk in, in the past, current accounts are pretty strong uh, in a number of countries. So the and the need to access external financing is limited. It's also limited by the fact that uh, local markets have expanded substantially in a number of these countries. So whereas 30 years ago, 100% of financing to to these markets were uh, provided by international uh, investors and thereby creating a real vulnerability in a a global downturn, now over 90% uh, of funding is coming from local markets. Penny, I want to pick up on something you you just mentioned. You talked about how debt to GDP is coming down ex-China in emerging markets. So where is emerging markets in the credit cycle? Are you concerned about sovereign defaults, which we saw a pickup in last year? You know, I think that it's a very interesting question, and there was a big concern going heading into 2023 about defaults, particularly uh, among the the names that were trading uh, in excess of you know a thousand basis points. There were, I think. 17 countries, and we've looked at a number of them. And what's actually happened is in 2023, there was, I think there was, there were no defaults. Uh, There was a small uh, quasi-sovereign in Ukraine uh, that ran into some trouble. And in 2024, I think our expectation is that the only potential default is in Ethiopia. And that is taking a look at, you know, what are the maturities coming uh, over the course of the next uh, two or three years in some of those countries? And what is, you know, what are the fiscal and reserve positions? And do you see, you you talked about those 17 or so countries that are trading above 1,000 basis points. You talked about the value in high yield spreads. Those countries, are you starting to see them emerge from some of these defaults? Where, you know, are you seeing those as opportunities? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, typically, what happens in these markets is that it's a little like a pendulum. You have a, a default situation, and, and markets don't know how to price it in, and it always really usually goes to a significantly lower level than, than ultimate recovery values. Um, so we, uh, this is something, you know, you said we had, two of us have 35 years on average of experience. We've seen a lot, and so the restructuring process is often an opportunity 
for. But, but as you said, there, there's 17 countries that are trading over 1,000 over that really don't have access right now to the public markets. But there are only eight countries within that group that have debt due next year. And the only one uh, you know, that we think is vulnerable uh, it continues to be Ethiopia. So, you know, when we look at, you know, cash flows uh, from sovereigns over the next several years, we don't really see a concern about defaults until you get to 2025 or 2026. So there's an an extended runway, I think. And if if GDP uh, growth starts to improve globally, clearly, you know, a lot of these countries are going to be in much better positioning, not only uh, because of stronger growth, but I think, you know, they continue to get assistance from the IMF. And we're starting to see with elections over the last uh, several months that, you know, we've got more orthodox economic policy coming out of these elections, which we think ultimately is pretty positive. Let me pick up on that election on elections. So I think there, I read a stat that over 40 percent of the world's population will have some sort of election next year, national and local. So that certainly presents upside and downside risks. How are you thinking about some of these major elections, whether you know here in the U.S. or in EM and the impact on our asset class? Well, I think that in, in EM there, I think there are 14 elections, both uh, state and local. And the big ones are Mexico and India, where we don't expect really a significant change in policy direction. In the case of uh, Indonesia, uh, there is also an election, and there is the possibility that you have a less market-friendly outcome, uh, although it's not anticipated that it would have a significant impact on credit fundamentals, but potentially on, on upside. And I think South Africa is, is another large country with an election uh, next year, and there's some concern around that in terms of the uh, reduction in the assembly representation of the ANC, therefore reducing the progress that's been made so far uh, in terms of addressing some of the Zuma-era problems. So that's one to watch very carefully uh, and, as well. And how about Taiwan and the U.S., Dave? Yeah, you know, clearly that's going to be a a concern politically. It's right now, it's a very close race. But clearly, if the KMT loses, that's going to make China nervous. But we don't anticipate any actions by China relative to Taiwan, except maybe increased saber rattling that's continuing to occur. We think that there's enough issues in China's domestic market that they have to deal with between local government financing vehicles and restructuring those, between stabilizing the property market, uh, between dealing with the demographic shift that's going on within that country, uh, that they have really a lot of work to do in the domestic economy. Let me pick up a little bit also on what you said in terms of saber rattling. Is the market responding to these headlines as much as they were in the past? How do you think about that? You talked about rates volatility coming down. Yeah, you know, I think the market clearly has getting more used to, uh, you know, these events that are happening. And quite frankly, there are geopolitical events happening all over the world in the Middle East, in Ukraine and Russia. And and clearly there are something that you need to watch carefully. But right now, the market tends to look past them and look towards, uh, you know, what the potential solutions are. You know, from our perspective, we think that, you know, while these are situations that you continue to need to watch... Uh, we don't think they're going to have a significant impact in 2024. I think in the case of uh, the U.S. elections, it's obviously a significant risk, uh, just in terms of chatter around the process, uh, the primary and and electoral process. 
know, I think the uh, the potential for a Trump win, which uh, certainly is is not a downside case in terms of in terms of probabilities, would be I think positive for the dollar. Uh, so negative uh, for EMFX, at least in the short term. Uh, in the longer term, there is some concern around uh, the you know the independence of the central bank, and that could have a negative longer term impact on the dollar. But I think the short term uh, reaction might well be a, a stronger dollar, uh, you know, a less attractive EMFX environment, certainly a stronger dollar relative to the euro. And in your base case for next year, how are you thinking about the dollar? Well, we're looking, we think the dollar is, uh, from a valuation perspective, has certainly got significant downside risk. We think that, that that's probably going to be reflected in relative growth over time. So the, as the U.S. growth slows and grows in the rest of the world, moves up from, from what has been pretty dreary uh, 2023, that, that that in and of itself will be beneficial for currencies outside of, outside of the U.S., and specifically for, for EMFX. And Penny, let me pick up on a little bit about what you talked about and just expand a little further. We talked about the dollar and the relationship with EMFX. What other themes do you think might benefit EM over the long term? Oh, you know, over the long term, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about the reordering of global trade and changes in uh, supply chains, um, moving not only out of China to other countries, but also duplicating supply chains and moving closer to the end market. So that benefits, again, Mexico relative to the U.S. It benefits the CE3 relative to relative to Europe. The other, the second, and I think very important consideration is the transition um, to a low-carbon world. Um, a lot of the base metals that um, will be necessary in that transition are the low-cost producers are in emerging markets. Thirdly, I think concern around the transition and demand for more traditional energy product has resulted in a significant reduction in capital expenditure in the traditional oil and gas company. I think uh, as a consequence, uh, global reserves, um, you know, are down substantially. Uh, And in the case of copper, which is a significant input for the transition period, um, uh, you know, there have been very, you know, there have been limited investments and investments typically take in that in that business to develop a new mine, something on the order of three years. So uh, I think the longer to you have two really important drivers. One is the transition itself. Second is really to catch up on some of these traditional uh, metals and energy inputs that we're going to need uh, between now and the time we achieve nirvana. I think one of the other issues, uh, I think the market is is really has de-risked significantly over the last two years. Uh, and so most investors are underweight uh, the asset class, both on the hard currency side and the local currency side. And, and as a result, I think uh, even with performance uh, that we've had this year uh, of about uh, almost 9%, we've still had about $30 billion of outflows uh, during this period. And we think that you know, what will be a driver of, of a spreads is, you know, when inflows resume and into where, the asset class. Well, And where do you see that demand coming in from for EM fixed income? Well, you're going to see it from a variety of places. You're going to see it from local players, uh, clearly. You're going to see it, I, I think, from investors trying to capture carry across hard currency fixed income. And I think, you know, you're probably going to see it as fundamentals improve as reallocations to the asset class. We've had a lot of platforms which have really de-risked over this period, and we think that clearly stronger returns are, are probably going to drive inflows on the retail side at some point. 
So, you know, there are a lot of different avenues where we can potentially see inflows. We've started already to see inflows from the, uh, you know, separate account space where we're starting to see investors looking at the asset class from a historical basis and looking at the relative value. So we think this will come uh, over time in 2024. Right. And that's typically the, the separate accounts that that are the first movers here and then performance draws in draws in retail. And there's virtually no crossover investors, or as we call it, tourist capital in those markets now. And most Dedicated investors, you know, are uh, underweighter or neutral in, from their exposure. So we think there's a, a, a good potential for inflows uh, if performance continues to be relatively strong. Penny, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us today. Just to recap, and feel free to jump in and add here, but for 2024, you're constructive on emerging markets fixed income. It's it's a combination of an improving growth differential and EM relative to developed markets. The disinflation story that you're seeing, where you're seeing a number of emerging markets now able to ease well in advance of the Fed. On the valuation front, Dave, you were talking about high yield spreads, fairly extreme valuations relative to history, 90th percentile plus investment grade yields similar on that front. And then, of course, the technicals that you just touched on in terms of investors being underweight, and now you're starting to actually see some of those flows come back in. Yeah, so we think, you know, 2024, you know, obviously 2023 has turned out to be a a strong year for for the asset class. We think you're probably going to see another year of strong performance in 2024. I think one of the things to keep in mind is nothing runs smooth, so... Mm -hmm. Volatility is likely to characterize uh, markets as we go in next year. And secondly, differentiation continues to be very, very important uh, from country to country. And that's something I think that uh, is important in, in uh, making, uh, making an investment in, you know, in the emerging markets is to recognize uh, the differences in, uh, in upside from country to country and in risks on the downside. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on TCW Investment Insights. For more insights from TCW, please visit tcw.com insights. This material is for general information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. TCW, its officers, directors, employees, or clients may have positions in securities or investments mentioned in this publication, which positions may change at any time without notice. While the information and statistical data contained herein are based on sources believed to be reliable, we do not represent that it is accurate and should not be relied on as such, or be the basis for an investment decision. The information contained herein may include preliminary information and or, quote, forward-looking statements, end quote. Due to numerous factors, actual events may differ substantially from those presented. TCW assumes no duty to update any forward-looking statements or opinions in this document. Any opinions expressed herein are current only as of the time made, and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.